Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Speak, O Lord, until your church is built. That's why we hear this morning to glorify God even as he builds us, even as he edifies us, even as he teaches us through his word. Our desire is to stand this morning on the inerrant and sufficient word of God that we, his people, might be built up, that we might be transformed even as we learn from his word, even as his spirit stirs our hearts, that we might be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. So as we come now to the, to the reading and to the teaching of God's word, our desire is that God would build us up as individuals, even as he builds us up as a collective. Would you turn with me in your Bibles this morning as we continue our series, How God Grows the Church in the Book of Acts? And we find ourselves this morning in the, in the chapter of 16, in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 1 to 5. Acts chapter 16, verse 1 on my Bible, it's page 924, but that doesn't help you at all. <laughs> if you need help finding Acts, you can take a look in your index at the front of your Bible, or in, it's found in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, And in the book of Acts, I hear the pages have stopped rustling. So I'm going to pray once more. I'm praying for me and I'm praying for you and I'm praying that God would be glorified in our midst this morning. Let's bow our heads and bend our knees before the Lord in humble prayer. Speak. Speak, O Lord. This morning, we desire to hear your voice. We desire to see your son, Jesus Christ. Speak from your word that we, your people, might be built up. That, Lord, we might be strengthened even in our hour of need. That we might be prepared for the work which you have before us. Speak. For indeed, Lord God, We are ready and we are humble and we desire to hear from you. Open your word before us. Teach us. Lead us by your spirit. Renew our minds and stir our hearts and change our lives that we might glorify you in this world as we will surely do in the world to come. These things we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Well, friends, this morning I'm reading to you from Acts chapter 16, verse 1 to 5. Hear the word of God. Paul 
came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Just so far in the reading of God's word. How did we end up here? Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. We read that at the beginning of chapter 16, verse 1, the, the first half of the verse. How did Paul end up in Lystra? The book of Acts tells the story of how the gospel triumphs. It triumphs in Jerusalem. We've read about that in Acts 1 through 7. It triumphs in Judea and Samaria. We read about that in Acts 8 through 12. And it triumphs to all the ends of the earth. That's the story that Luke is telling from Acts chapter 13 through to verse 28. The story of the the gospel advance includes three missionary journeys and one short trip to Rome. Now in the previous two sermons, we looked at Acts chapter 13 and 14, the first missionary journey. The Holy Spirit of God had directed Paul and Barnabas to spread the gospel. And so the church at Antioch commissioned them and sent them off. Paul and Barnabas, together with John Mark, traveled to Cyprus, but crossing to the hostile region of Pamphylia, John Mark had had left them. Paul and Barnabas, however, had continued on to north, the Pisidian Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. And he, together with Barnabas, had preached the gospel of God and experienced opposition from jealous Jews. Finally, they had headed home, retracting their steps through the cities that they had visited. And they strengthened the disciples as they went. And they appointed elders for them in every church. Now, five years have passed. No doubt, Paul has prayed for the churches that he planted, but his heart is burning to visit them. 
And so he speaks to his partner in gospel ministry. He, he speaks to Barnabas and he says, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of God and see how they are. The second missionary journey is about to get underway. Now due to that dispute with John Mark, Paul and Barnabas, they split. Barnabas takes the sea route to Cyprus and Paul takes the land route through Syria and up through Cilicia. And as he goes, he goes about strengthening the churches and working his way toward Asia Minor. And that is how Paul ends up in Lystra. What's the the big deal in this text? There's a disciple there named Timothy. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. We read about that in the second half of chapter 16, verse 1. A disciple named Timothy. What is the big deal about Timothy? Well, his mother, the scripture says, was a Jew. And his father was a Greek. And you you ask yourself the question, well, what is the big deal about Timothy? That, in the beginning, the Christian church was a Jewish church. Think about that for a moment. Jesus was a Jew. His 12 disciples were all Jews. All 3,000 converts on the day of Pentecost were Jews. In the beginning, the Christian church was a Jewish church. But the Christian church did not stay a Jewish church for long. In Acts chapter 8, we read that a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And the disciples were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Samaritans were added to the church. And not just Samaritans. Pretty soon, Gentiles, people just like us, were added to the the floodgates of God's grace poured out. Gentiles placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior in great numbers. The Christian church began to experience massive growth. But all these Gentile conversions raised a concern in some of the Jews' minds. What was at first a Jewish church was becoming increasingly less and less Jewish. As God continued to add more and more Gentiles to the mix. The Jewishness of the Christian church began to be diluted. And if the trend continued, there'd be nothing left of Judaism in the Christian church. And so the Jewish Christians were asking two questions that concerned them greatly. First, 
must Gentiles become Jews before they can become Christians? This is written in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, where we read, unless, and this is the voice of those Jewish Christians, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Second, must Gentiles observe the law of Moses after they become Christians? And we read about this in Acts chapter 15, verse 5, which says, it is necessary, again, in the voice of those who are asking the question, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. In conflict. Conflict in the church. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, is on the one side. Jewish Christians are on the other, and this is a big deal and a major cause of disagreement. Paul is proclaiming salvation is by faith alone. The Judaizers, on the other hand, are saying that salvation is by faith and circumcision. These two messages are not the same. Paul is proclaiming good news to the whosoever will. The Judaizers, on the other hand, are saying good news to the whosoever would become Jewish. There is no harmonizing these two messages. The one is right and the other is wrong. The one leads to life and the other leads only to death. And Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem and to the apostles and the elders about this question, which basically means in chapter 15 of the book of Acts, verse 2, that they argued until everyone was red in the face, and the only thing that they could agree on was that they needed an adjudicator. The apostles in Jerusalem would settle the dispute. Acts 15, the whole chapter really, is about the Jerusalem council. Where the apostles and the elders were gathered to consider this matter. And it is a pivotal chapter in the Bible. If salvation is by faith and not by works of the law... As Paul was saying, it needed to be settled once and for all. Because friends, if salvation is by faith and the works of the law, salvation would be out of grasp for everyone. Because Peter himself said that it was a yoke that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Well, the law of Moses can show us that we are sinners The law of Moses is powerless to save us from our sin. At last, James declared, the leader of the Jerusalem church, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. 
And they issued four rules uh, to build the harmony between Jewish and Gentile Christians. Abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Now Paul is traveling with that letter in his possession. He plans to take it from city to city as he journeys through Asia Minor, making plain that justification is by faith alone. What is the big deal about Timothy? Well, his mother is a Jew and his father is Greek. And you ask, well, what is the big deal about that? Timothy is a visual picture of the conflict in Acts chapter 15. He is a Jew, and everyone knows it because they know his mother. And he is a Gentile, and everyone knows it because they all know his father. Wherever Timothy is, there will be tension. But Paul wants Timothy with him. Pick up the text in Acts chapter 16, verse 2. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Why does Paul care about Timothy? Timothy may have come to faith when Paul came through Lystra on his first missionary journey. His mother and grandmother must surely have come to faith then or shortly thereafter. They're spoken about in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. Timothy's mother was Jewish and so he grew up uh, well versed in all of the Old Testament. By the time that Paul comes to Lystra on his second missionary journey. Timothy has a very good reputation. He is young and he is zealous and he is eager to learn and he is a faithful doer. He is exactly the kind of travel companion that Paul needs for the long and dangerous journey ahead. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. We read that in chapter 16, verse 3, the first half of the verse. Now, this is significant given that Paul and Barnabas had just split over John Mark. Paul had questioned John Mark's suitability for mission work, but he found Timothy suitable. Paul sees something in him that he can work with. Now, in time, Timothy will become the most important of Paul's associates. Luke mentions him often in the book of Acts. And Paul will call him my fellow worker and list him as an author alongside him in many of his letters. Paul will grow to have a special affection for Timothy, calling him his beloved and faithful child in the faith. Timothy will remain a friend of Paul's even to his death and will become a successor who will continue Paul's work. But at this stage, Timothy is just a kid. A kid who trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior. A kid who is keen to join the apostle on the mission. And a kid who who Paul wants along for the journey. 
There may be a hint of 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 14 uh, that the church in Lystra ordained Timothy. Paul reminds him later, do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders lay their hands on you. And so, despite the complexity of Timothy's ethnicity, Timothy becomes Paul's travel companion and over time his closest friend. This and that is why Paul cares about Timothy. Chapter 16, the second half of verse 3. And he took him, he being Paul and him being Timothy, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. If justification is by faith alone apart from the work of the law, why did Paul circumcise Timothy? I do not know everything Paul put in his backpack for his trip across Europe, but I know one item he was carrying, a letter from James, reporting the decision that had been taken by the Jerusalem council, that circumcision was not necessary for salvation, that circumcision was not necessary for Gentile Christians, And Silas was along on that journey with him to give eyewitness testimony to that fact. Paul had made his case to the apostles and prevailed. He could have paraded Timothy before the Jews as a trophy of God's grace and Pauline authority. But he doesn't. Rather, he takes him and circumcises him. This is not Paul compromising. I'm sure it didn't feel to Timothy like he was compromising at all. Now, this is an example of Paul relinquishing a right for the sake of the gospel. This is an example of Paul in Timothy subjecting himself to pain to reach out to an audience. This is not Paul compromising. Because Paul knows that circumcision does not mean anything. Neither for salvation nor for sanctification. But if Paul is compromising... And I've already said that he's not. He compromises on a matter which means nothing to be uncompromising on a matter which means everything. Timothy, circumcised, means that they can present the gospel to Jews and Gentiles alike. No accusation being made of them being lawbreakers that can stick to them. This is a wonderful example of becoming all things to all people. To the Corinthians, Paul would later write, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win, that I may win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. 
to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I may win those who are under the law. To those who are outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I may win, that I may win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I may win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. For the sake of the gospel, soul winning. That's why he did it. All things to all people that by all means I might save some. Because the winning of souls is more important to Paul than winning arguments. Let me say that again. The winning of souls to Paul is more important than winning arguments. Paul wanted to be inoffensive in every way except for the proclamation of the cross. The gospel is an offense, but Paul himself did not have to be. And so he had him circumcised for the sake of the gospel. Why did Paul circumcise Timothy? Because he aimed to win souls, not arguments. What did Timothy's circumcision achieve? Verse 4 in chapter 16 of Acts. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So what did Timothy's conversion achieve? Well, they got to travel. The, the towns and the cities of Derby and Lystra and beyond delivering the good news. Salvation is by faith alone apart from circumcision. Salvation by faith alone is a distinguishing characteristic of the Christian religion. This message of faith alone is what separates the true gospel from every false gospel. Roman Catholicism adds infant christening. Jehovah Witnesses add weekly meetings and volunteer hours. Seventh-day Adventists add Sabbath keeping. The Church of Christ adds adult baptism. Some Pentecostals add tongue speaking. Accursed is any religion that adds to the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness in the Old Testament. So in the New Testament, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Habakkuk writes, the righteous shall live by faith in the Old Testament. So in the New Testament, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
What are you hoping will save you? You stand on the cusp of eternity. This life is but a breath and it will soon fade away like vapor. Tomorrow is not guaranteed to you whether you are 90 or 50 or 20 or 12. Soon you will stand before your creator and give an account. What are you hoping will save you? On that dreadful day, when the judge separates the sheep from the goats, when he separates the wheat from the chaff, what hope will you have? What will you appeal to? Will you appeal to your good works? I've been a good person. I attended church. I was kind to other people. I was a good mother, a good father, a good child, friend. No one is good except God. And even your righteous deeds are like polluted garments. On that day, if you have taken hold of salvation in this life, your answer must be Jesus. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Lay hold of him today. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Timothy's circumcision made the unhindered proclamation of the gospel possible for Paul in his day and for us in our day. So how do churches grow? Verse 5 of chapter 16. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers Daily. Quick recap. Paul is on his second missionary journey. He is going about strengthening the churches, and that is how he ends up in Lystra. There he meets a young disciple named Timothy. And what's the big deal about Timothy? Well, his mother is a Jew, and his father is a Greek. He is a visual picture of the conflict in Acts chapter 15 between Paul and the Judaizers. Wherever Timothy is, there will be tension. But Paul cares about Timothy, and so despite the complexity of his ethnicity, he makes Timothy his travel companions. And so, for the sake of the gospel, Paul circumcises Timothy. Because winning souls is more important to Paul than winning arguments. And as a a result, the churches increased in numbers daily. Churches grow as we aim to win souls, not arguments. How should this truth impact us at Central Baptist Church Pretoria? Three brief applications before we close. 
first. Like Paul, we must preach to win souls. To those of you who are preachers in any capacity, preachers must be soul winners. That is what we are called to do. On this topic, I can commend a book to you, Words to Winners of Souls by Horatius Bonner. Bonner writes, the question, therefore, which each of us, that's preachers, elders, Bible study teachers, the question which each of us has to answer to his own conscience is, has it been the end of my ministry? Has it been the desire of my heart to save the lost and guide the saved? Is this my aim in every sermon I preach, in every visit I pay? Is it under the influence of this feeling that I continually live and walk and speak? Is it for this I pray and toil and fast and weep? Is it for this that I am spent and that I spend myself counting it next to the salvation of my own soul, the chiefest joy to be the instrument of saving others? Is it for this that I exist? To accomplish this would I gladly die. Have I seen the pleasure of the Lord prospering my hand? Have I seen souls converted under my ministry? Has God's people found refreshment from my lips and gone upon their way rejoicing? Or have I seen no fruit of my labors and yet am content to remain unblessed? Am I satisfied to preach and yet not know of one saving impression made, one sinner awakened? Preachers must be soul winners. Second application. Like Paul, we too must guard against being contentious for the faith. Jude writes in his short letter in verse 3, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Contend for the faith. The word contend translates the Greek word epagonizomai. The, the word, the root is um, agon. It's, it's where we get the English word agonize from. Agonize for the faith. Contest, wrestle, fight, struggle, strive for the faith. Take the faith seriously. Promote it fearlessly. Share it boldly. But don't be contentious for the faith or argumentative for the faith. You are not called to be a Facebook troll for the faith or a theological oaf for the faith. The kind of guy that no one wants to invite to a family bra. Contend for the faith, yes, but don't be contentious for the faith. Third application. Like Paul, we must all aim to win souls, not arguments. Soul winning is evangelism. Soul winning is witnessing. This world is dying fast. It's it's passing away. And soon every man and woman and child in this building will stand before their creator and give an account. 
Are you not motivated to prepare those within your circle of care for that day? Now it may be that your hesitation to share the gospel with those you love is because you don't hear it handled often enough in the pulpit or in small group Bible studies. Friends, put yourself in the path of gospel preaching. Sit under pulpits in small group Bible studies, listen to podcasts and MP3s where gospel truths like sin and judgment and hell and salvation through Jesus Christ alone are spoken of without fear or favor. But it is unlikely that this is the ground for your hesitation if you regularly attend Central Baptist Church Pretoria. Because the gospel is regularly proclaimed from this pulpit. Now I think you get enough gospel Yeah, I think our more frequent problem is that we fear man more than we fear God. We fear the scorn of our family member or a rebuke from our work colleague or someone that we go to school or university with to such an extent that we fear to share the gospel with them. We lack boldness. If this is you, friend, I ask you even this morning to pray for a measure of boldness. And God He is good. He will give you opportunity and stir your heart to this end. And when he does it, don't sit on it. To boldness add gospel proclamation. The world needs Jesus. And you've got him. Don't bottle him up. Let him loose. That all men might praise our Father in heaven. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, we do thank you for your word. It is faithful and true and a sure guide for all matters of life and for godliness. Even this morning, Lord God, as we read this account of Paul and Silas together with Timothy, We are reminded that all through the ages there have been men who have defended the simple truth that salvation is by faith alone, that salvation is in Christ alone, that salvation is by grace alone, and that salvation is to the glory of God alone. Lord God, might we live in that stream. Might we, your church in this place, declare that gospel truth. Might we speak it to our family and to our friends and to people that we work with and associate with. Might we be quick to speak of the good news of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior that all the world might hear that our Savior, Jesus Christ, died for sins, rose from the grave, and a way has been made open 
that they are called upon to repent for the forgiveness of sins. Might this be true in our lives. Grant us boldness, grant us clarity, and grant us opportunities, we pray, in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.